Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Okay, y'all can be seated. You know, I really apologize that I'm going to have to speak out of the book of Revelation after all that. Just y'all being nice to me, you know, and just like, now you got to, can you give us a nice text? Um, this series on Revelation that the team has entitled Listen is because there is a refrain in the book of Revelation that keeps saying this, you know, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so there's a constant reminder that just because you have the, uh, the capacity to potentially hear, you're not listening. And we all know that. Every man knows how to hear but not hear, especially during some kind of sporting event. Uh, somebody can talk to us point blank, but if our focus is somewhere else, it's just, it's just you know, gibberish. We didn't even hear it. Revelation is the most famous book I believe in the Bible, but it's also the least read. It's like Stephen Hawking's book, A Brief History of Time, is called the most purchased book, but least read book. Everybody wanted to say they owned it, but never really read it. That's kind of like the Bible is in general, but specifically the book of Revelation. And yet it says in the beginning of the book, blessed are those who read it aloud. So I'm going to get the blessing today from reading it aloud to you, albeit on my phone, uh, just because I don't have my other reading glasses and I can read it very good on my phone. But it says also blessed are those who hear and heed the words of the prophecy. So I get a blessing for reading it. You get a blessing for listening. The if I could sum up the book of Revelation, and I read it quite often from front to back, just in over and over again, because I just really want to comprehend uh, this, this story, this movie, what, what's going on. And to me, it's a very simple thing, and everybody has their own way of saying it's so simple. But, but really, Revelation is about God dealing with evil. It's God's judgment against evil. Simple. Now, I, uh, we're, we're referencing about me going to campuses, and this, this past week I was at four campuses in Missouri on four successive nights. I don't know if they've got any pictures of these. They don't, but maybe they do. But anyway, I had some little props. There's, okay, just go through these pictures real quick. Okay, keep going. And these were all brand new ministries. These were just, what we do is we go onto a campus where there's no existing ministry with every nation and every nation campus. And we have an outreach and it's called this, if you can hold the poster up, I think it's coming up. God's not dead and uh, based on a book I wrote, but hold this up for a minute because this is going to be April 13th at University of Tennessee. So we now have every nation Tennessee and we're gonna be at the University of Tennessee at the Student Union Theater. So if anybody knows anybody up in, in Knoxville, a grandson, a son, a daughter, anything, please let us know. But uh, we go into these campuses, and many, many more on our schedule. You can look it up on our website. But we'll have this pretty detailed dialogue about the evidence for God. And I 
have a scientist with me, a physicist. Somebody asked me, do you travel with a physicist? I said, doesn't everybody? I mean, I just can't imagine without, you know, traveling without my physicist. It's like, anyway, but as we give this detailed dialogue about the beginning of the universe, the evidence for God from DNA and from, from, from all of the intricacies of that, and then we move into um, the evidence for the resurrection. If you didn't have a Bible, how would you know Jesus is the Son of God? Well, you could know he was crucified in history. Jesus was crucified by the people in history that were the best at killing you. No one ever survived a Roman crucifixion. And his tomb was found empty. Historians tell us that the tomb was empty. Now, they won't say he was resurrected necessarily, but you have two things. He was undeniably killed. Number two, his tomb was empty, and then he appeared. Uh, And so these appearances precipitated the birth of what you and I are still in today the birth of the Christian church. So these are the minimal facts that even skeptics will acknowledge. They won't acknowledge the resurrection, but you can use a little deductive reasoning or maybe abductive reasoning, which is called the inference to the best explanation. This is how you solve any crime or murder. How do you know what happened based on the evidence that you have before you? But after all of that, we have microphones on either side of the uh, auditorium and usually the questions will always default to evil. Why would a good God allow evil? And so they'll just walk past all of the discussion on science. They claim that science is their issue. Well, I'm a real scientific person. I'm really rational and and stuff. And uh, I just, you know, I'm really an intellectual person. Anybody that tells you they're intellectual, okay. Anyway, I'm a real intellectual person. And, okay, good, you just play along, just sure, okay, yep, yep, I just do that, just yes, whatever you say. And, but it'll always default to evil, which shows you that really we have more of an emotional issue than a rational one. Now, I'm not demeaning evil. Evil is, evil is all of our plague. It's, it's, it's what we deal with. It's not just theoretical. I could stand up and give you this philosophical, you know, kind of walk through on how you should look at evil, but that, that does you no good when somebody's in the hospital dying. Does you no good at a graveside, really. It's this existential moment where we just, it's, it's our feelings are so overwhelming that it's our feelings that will dictate our thoughts, not the other way around. So, Revelation is this answer to the plague in question of what will God do about evil? C.S. Lewis said, you don't, in essence, you would not even call something evil if God didn't exist because without God, there is no categories of good and evil. If we're just animals, if there's no difference between you and a dog besides where our dishes are located in the kitchen, then there is no ultimate definition of evil, but it's because there's a transcendent good, a transcendent moral authority that we now know that there, there is good, there is evil, they're real. He said, how would I know what a a crooked line was unless I knew what a straight line was, a famous C.S. Lewis statement. But Revelation kind of walks through God dealing with evil at at every level. It starts in Revelation 1 when he says, when the writer John says that, talks about seeing Jesus and hearing this voice, and he says, the one who freed us 
from our sins by his blood. So evil and vanquishing of evil always starts individually. Okay? Talked to a guy on an airplane seat, sitting in seat 14D. He said he didn't believe in God because of evil. And I said, you know, well, God's got a plan to get rid of all the evil in the world. I said, it's going to, but I said, it's going to start inside of us. And I said, I said, he wants to get rid of all the evil in seat 14D first. And after I told him that, he said, you know what? He said, he, 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 it, was, it, was, it was funny. It's, and it's a phenomenon we all experience. Most people want to have evil stop happening to them, but they don't want to have it stop happening through them. So God wants to deal with the evil inside of us, starting with me and my selfishness. If you get rid of all evil instantly, that means our selfishness, our lust, everything, our racism, not just the big things that we like to category, categorize as evil. But then he moves into the churches, and this is what we're dealing with in these uh, sessions in the next few weeks. We're talking about God dealing with evil and dealing with the things that these churches in Asia were facing, the seven churches in Asia, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira, to Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. And it's in Asia, and Asia is not what it is today. Asia is not this expansive place in the Bible. It's a very small area. It's like dealing in the Gulf Coast or dealing in the Northeast or dealing in the South. It's a region where these churches were located. And so why would this letter be written in this revelation given to just a segment of the churches? Because I think if you read it enough, you realize that this is kind of a cross section. This is a, a sampling of, of the things that churches in general deal with. And so you can see an individual problem, uh, something that God praises. It's always good to be praised for something. And so Jesus commends churches for things, but he also deals with them specifically and gives uh, warnings. Uh, so it goes from individuals, then he starts dealing with the churches. And then, but yet in the Bible, there's more to that. It's, it's, there's judgments to cities. Jesus said, woe to Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is his hometown. I've been to Capernaum. Jesus said, woe to you, Capernaum, if the miracles had been, that had been done in you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have remained to this day. Now, think about that. We're talking about individuals, because see, we reduce judgment down to this private meeting between you and Jesus and kind of like going into a voting booth. It's not like that. It says that the cities, it says, Jesus said in Matthew 12, he said, it's recorded in Matthew 12, that at the judgment, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment against you. You ever seen in the old days, the talk shows where you'd come out on a talk show and somebody would be on the stage and, you know, they'd been being abusive or some kind of problem and they'd have a psychiatrist and some people and then out of the crowd would come their accusers standing up to accuse them or to criticize their reasoning. Imagine us in a judgment where the generations are there. The men of Nineveh rise up against this generation because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and something greater than Jonah is here. You have not only cities, nations, and ultimately there's cosmic judgment. 
he will expunge evil from the cosmos and a new heavens and a new earth come down in Revelation. So here we are going through the churches and their judgment. And so last week, Pastor James, or Pastor, uh, yes, it was Pastor James that dealt brilliantly with Ephesus. Pastor Dave began with a general introduction. Pastor Dave, who right now is in Hawaii, can you believe this? Pastor Dave is in Hawaii preaching at our churches there. And you know what my word to him was? As I said, put some sunscreen on that head. <laughs> you don't want him coming back with, a, with that, that, that kind of head, that tourist head is what we call that. They forgot. But let's read. I want to read in Revelation 2. Revelation 2, and again, forgive me. I'm glad my wife is not here because she does not like me pulling out my phone for any reason, especially in church. But this, this is going to help help a brother.com right here. Okay. Okay. To the angel, verse one, again, we get blessed for reading it. I do. You get blessed for hearing it. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. These are the messengers of the, of the ministers of these churches who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So Jesus is walking among the churches. He isn't just here to say, well, what happened? Y'all were praising me. I mean, he's not just here kind of just to drop in to hear how much he's going to be praised, and then he goes to the next place. It's like you see people, you know, security guards here and, and people that are walking around looking. You think Jesus is walking among the churches, and he's looking. He says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, everybody say remember. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not... I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet you have a few that hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, before I read my short text today for, uh, about the second church, let me just review this. It was important. He said, you've done all of these things. He said, but he said, you can't stand evil. You hate evil. It's speaking of Jesus in the book of Hebrews. It says, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. You see, when you love God, you love what he loves and you hate what he hates. He didn't say you hate the Nicolaitans. He says you hate the works of the Nicolaitans. So it's, again, the old adage, you don't hate the person. You hate the things that they do. Okay, you can still love people. But here's the essence of it. He says, you've done all this, but you've left your first love. You're professional Christians. You're, you're, you, you, know what to, you know what to say. You've got the speech down. You, go, you know what's right and wrong. You lecture your kids when they leave. You know, don't do this, don't do that. You come to church. You, you do all of these things, but it's just not the same. There's not joy. There's no happiness. Your love has grown cold. Jesus warned about this. In the book of Matthew, it's recorded, uh, chapter 24, verse 14, it says, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. 
So what you find yourself is you're swimming in a culture that's hardening you, making your heart hard, making you mad at people. And so what we end up becoming is we become angry kind of Christian people that actually do more harm than good when it comes to preaching the gospel. No, there, there, there's nothing that is, no one benefits when you lose your cool, when you get mad, when you're frustrated with people because of the, what they do. I have a little adage that goes like this, whoever loses their cool, loses. And I mean, I, 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 in terms of that, you've seen it in your home, you've seen it with your kids. It says, it says the fool vents his anger and lets you know all of their frustration. Well, I just want to give them a piece of my mind. No, why don't you keep that? Why don't you just keep that? A fool vents all of their anger. A fool lets their vexation be known at once, Proverbs says. And when you can live in a world like this, be what you're supposed to be, love what he loves, hate what he hates, you're going to have to be able to, at the same time, go back to the beginning, because at the beginning, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember this. When I, when I got saved, I loved everybody, even my worst enemies. There was a guy that I was going to, I was going to take him out, not permanently, but just hurt him a little bit. I was just as valiant as Pastor James. I just wasn't as tough as he was. But... Um, this guy's name is Robert Sherman on our campus. He was, the, he was, in, he was the, the boyfriend to my fiance who I never married because I married my current wife. When I got saved, that ended. And, but he had been this guy on campus that had dated my girlfriend right before we dated. So she told me all the bad stuff about him. He was a loudmouth fraternity guy in Mississippi State. I was going to hurt him. And when I got saved, I literally just walked up to him and I said, excuse me. I said, I introduced myself. This is how I met him. I said, Robert Sherman. I said, excuse me, but uh, I'm Rice Brooks and I was going to hurt you, uh, but Jesus changed my life. I want you to forgive me. He's a pastor today in Dallas, Texas. In fact, he just went back to his, he was actually living with a girl at the time. He, he, said, he said, the only Bible verse I remember growing up in Catholic school was if you have something against somebody, go tell them. You know, my childhood enemy that I grew up with that would thump my ear behind, you know, guess, I mean, thump my ear, came to hear me speak when I first started in the ministry on a campus, came down front to get saved. I mean, you know, I looked down there, I thought, man, I'm going to walk up to him and go, man, there's no hope for you. <laughs> going to hell. I wanted. I wanted, I just want, you know, no, I just, I, I, I got to hug my childhood enemy. And walk him into the kingdom. I could go down the list of walking into places that people, and people who did not want to see me coming. I'm the only white guy you will ever meet that speaks at A Phi A, Kappa Alpha Psi, Omega Psi Phi. I, 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 I go into the Q Dogs, and after I speak, when I leave, I overheard one of them say, Who let him in here? <laughs> But, but, when, but, but there's something about when your love is like it was at the beginning, then you're actually excited about the chance to show people that you are unoffendable and that you care about them. 
Bless those that curse you. Do not return evil for evil or insult for insult, but leave a blessing instead, for you were called for this purpose that you might inherit a blessing. 1 Peter 3. Had a guy right over in Brentwood. I must have cut him off. He pulled around me and gave me the sign. He raised that finger that is the international sign of requesting prayer. And I pulled up right by that stoplight by Corky's and Walgreens, and I rolled down my window. I said, I said, you did it now. I said, you cursed me. I said, I'm going to have to bless you. He said, I'm a Christian. I said, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Just the way you raised that finger was so loving. Was so, it, was just a, it was just a mistake. Do the works you did at first. I asked you the last time I spoke to you to consider reading the New Testament every month. It's not long. I don't want to sound like Barney Fife up here, but I read it every week, front to back, and plus other stuff. But why? Because that's what I did at first. That may not be what you did at first, but to me, when I started reading the New Testament as a new believer, it's like I'd I'd grown up in church but never remembered anybody telling me about these things. So I just kept reading the New Testament to say, what else did they not tell me about? What else did they not tell me about? And so do the works you did at first, whatever that means, whatever sensitivities you had, when you wouldn't dare say certain words or, you know, you get around people today and it's like they get older, they they can, they can cuss. Okay. Yeah, fine. You know, you're going to say something, but you know, at some point James says, you know, the, out of the same out of the same mouth. You can't have bitter and sweet. You can't have fresh water and sweet water. So some, at some point, what's in your heart in abundance is going to come out. And that's why you better get the word in abundance. Now, again, that's for you to go back and say, what is it that I did at first? And here's what he said if you don't. He gives them a little warning in, to, the, to the Ephesians. He said, if you don't do this, if you don't re- remember from where you have fallen and repent, I'm going to come and I'm going to remove your lampstand. Now, the lampstand is the light that lights up the building. Now, these churches in Asia that we're discussing here today are located, or the region where they are, if you go today, are the darkest places spiritually on the planet. You see, when you stop representing what Jesus wants, He says, I'm going to come and I'm going to turn the lights out personally. There are so many churches that close every year. The lights go out. Why? Because it went out in the hearts of people. And they just began to do the motions. They became mean. They became vindictive. They became all in the name of they just had righteous anger. So the church today is the church Smyrna. And let me read this. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Again, the resurrection verifies that Jesus is who he said he is and that his words can be trusted. I know your tribulation, your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. In other words, 
At this point, the distinction between Jew and believer was it wasn't that people thought that people were coming to Jesus came to make Christians. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. The apostles were Jewish. The Bible is a Jewish book. Okay, the places are real. It's not once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away. It's Jerusalem. It's, it's Judea. It's Samaria. It's Nazareth. In fact, you can go to the, even in the book of, in the book of Revelation when it talks about people assembling in Ar- Armageddon. I know that many Americans are ready for Armageddon because when I was there uh, a while back, there's a Burger King nearby. So I'm thinking, man, the end of the world is no one's going to go hungry. There's going to be a long line there. Here's the armies of the the world coming together, but Burger King is going to be there. But at the end of the day, it's, 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 it's that people call themselves something that they're not, call themselves believers that they're not. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So it's really not about what we say about ourselves. Is what he calls us. Say they're a synagogue of, they are Jews, but they're not. They're a synagogue of Satan. In other words, you've come together to do the works of evil. You're actually opposing what God's doing. And you can see back in our country, you can see gatherings of people that call themselves churches in the 50s and 60s, but we're not. They, they gathered together to do the enemy's work. I mean, if Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, if he called Peter, Satan, because he was voicing the words of Satan through his mouth. Imagine coming together to oppose ethnic unity and reconciliation, or to or to be or to to not to, to oppose what Jesus came to give, came to do. He died for the nations of the world. He says. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers or overcomes, as the word, will not be hurt by the second death. Now, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Not only do people say they leave the faith because of evil, but they really leave the faith when they experience suffering. Because somehow somebody didn't say to them on the front end that there's going to be suffering. I mean, somebody told you that it was going to be this abundant life, true. It's going to be joy, true. But you know, when Paul wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he had a chain around his leg. He wasn't standing on the steps like Rocky. Suffering through many tribulations, we will inherit and enter the kingdom of God. Imagine, imagine the apostle Paul, he gets blinded by the glory of God and he ends up, uh, can't see for three days and this guy named Ananias comes to him and here's what he says to him. Here's what the Lord sends him to say. He says, He says, he's my chosen instrument to bear my name before the Gentiles and the rulers and the kings. And then Jesus says this to Ananias to tell him, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Can you imagine hearing that when you get saved? Suffering. You're going to suffer. You're going to suffer at every level. You're going to have to forgive seven times 70. You're going to be, I'm going to place you in a place 
where I'm going to test you to see if what's inside of you is real enough to where when you're challenged, you'll hold on to it, not because it's convenient, not because it's pragmatic or it works existentially. Oh, yeah, this works. Hey, this doesn't work. I'm going to throw it away. That's what we do. Okay, I'll try Christianity. Sure, it didn't work. Give me another one. You know, what other religion do you have? I want something that immediate. And so if we don't tell people the truth, if we just pull out all of the blessing scriptures, that's why when you read the whole New Testament, When you read the whole New Testament, you read the places you've been avoiding. Because people have gone in and kind of pulled out the best stuff. It's like pulling out all the promises out of context, out of all the the other things that go around that. And you start saying, wait a minute, well, I just got, I just lined up all the best parts of the Bible and review them. And what about all this other? You know, they used to say that God couldn't be the designer of the human body because there were so many unnecessary parts, the appendix, other things like that. Then they began to find out, oh, that does have a a, a function, a very important function in the immune system. So all the other things that we dismissed because they didn't make us feel good actually have a key to to causing the good promises that we like to hold on to to work. You have to have them, okay? Suffering, I mean, you can just go down the, I love to hear people like Steve Merle talk when he talks about the review of what's going on around the world in India, Pakistan, China. I mean, believers around the world are suffering. They're suffering. And so, for, and, and that doesn't mean that we're got, we have to go home and just, you know, beat ourselves or just, you know, don't take a shower for a week just to, no, it means that we need to be grateful as the song was sung before, realizing that, man, we're, we're actually living in an amazing place. We're actually going through minimal stuff. I mean, when something bad happens or have to go through some delay, I say, Lord, thank you. Would you just please count this as suffering so that when I stand before the martyrs in China and Pakistan and Iran and all the place and all the apostles, seven out of 12 who died a martyr's death, Lord, that I'll just have some little tiny token of suffering that I just didn't lose it in traffic because somebody took, stole one second of my space in front of me and that I got mad at that. Satan is going to do something. You know, people, they're, 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 I, and I, I like to kind of work, work with people a little bit because I listen to people and I say, okay, let, let's, let, let's talk about what you just said. Let, let's just kind of take your own words and... Let me just ask you, do you really believe that? I mean, to some people, everything's the devil. I mean, it's everything. It's the devil. I'm thinking there's not enough. The devil's not that big. He is not an omniscient being. Okay? So there's some people, everything's the devil. Now, to other people, nothing is the devil. It's all a very much a, you know, pardon this expression, but for those of you that understand this, an Aristotelian, just Aristotle, it's all cause and effect. There's no world of the spirit. There's nothing like that. Everything is just, you know, as Neil deGrasse Tyson, the famous astronomer and astrophysicist said, you know, that you know, we know now it's not a disease or a demon, it's disease. And well, wait a minute, uh, again, I'm, thank God for medical science, but that doesn't mean nothing is the devil. So I say it's not everything and it's not nothing, so, but something. 
there's something there. There is, a, there is an enemy entity. And that's why when it comes to evil, you have to understand that we are still facing an enemy. And let me tell you something about God dealing with evil. Would you stand if you, if you don't mind? Just everybody stand here as I start to close. You know there's a difference in closing and starting to close. This is like when they say we're landing. You go, that's going to be a minute. Here's the thing. We are facing a battle. And the war is really not out there. It's not what political party or what the latest pundit says. It's not being distracted like a bull with a red cape. We are so easily distracted to something else other than the gospel. None of these churches were rebuked because of their size or their lack of size. He didn't get, nobody got committed for being big. God doesn't measure and value the things we do. It was their faithfulness to the gospel, their love for him and for one another, their hatred of the works of evil. It says you hate the work of the Nicolaitans And in essence, Jude talks about what that mindset was, about people who creep in and turn the grace of God into a license for evil. Right before Revelation, Jude kind of summarizes it, that you can do what you want. If you think that Jesus is this this all-loving Savior that has no other side, then if you read the book of Revelation, that false image will be corrected. Who is worthy to open the seals? The lamb who was slain and then the seven seals that are opened are judgments. And the seventh seal leads to seven trumpets. And those are judgments, progressive judgments. And finally, the seventh trumpet that blows leads to the seven bowls of judgment, Revelation 15, 1 and 2. It says, these judgments will be poured out on the earth and with this the wrath of God is finished. So what are these judgments? Judgment is God's dealing with evil. It's the very thing that everybody claims they don't want. Why would God allow evil? God's dealing with evil. He's ridding it from us individually. He wants to deal with it as a church. And listen, that means, it doesn't mean, well, hey, look, if this church is bad, I'll go to another one. Maybe that needs to happen. If that's the kind of church you're in, not here. We wouldn't be talking about that if we weren't trying to to do something about this. But at some point, whether it's the city you live in, we will face judgment. Why? Because judgment is God dealing with evil. But you know what? I, I always put it in perspective. Come on, Pastor James, if you don't mind, stand with me. The reason why, when we think about Satan, and I'm not going to give any railing accusation against him as as I'm warned in the Bible, and we're warned not to to do that, but in the book of Revelation, when God is going to finally deal with Satan, he sends one angel with a chain who descends. One angel arrests him and puts him into a pit one angel doesn't take all the armies of heaven one angel greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world 
Father, I'm asking today for those that are here, those that are watching, that there would be a recovery of what you started with us. Your first love has been lost. Lord, whatever hardness of heart, whatever bitterness, whatever thing has crept in, and for this, Lord, somebody who would get up at 9 a.m. and come to, to a church on a Sunday, I thank you for this act of dedication and service and the giving of, to mission offerings and to projects. And Lord, they, they exist to invest themselves and their resources into their family and into your kingdom. Lord, they consider your kingdom their family as well. But Lord, I pray that for those that have not had first love, maybe they come here or they're listening and they've never really had the kind of love for you to even lose it because they never had it to begin with. Father, I'm asking today, and it's a simple prayer. It's profound in its impact, but it's simply acknowledging, Lord, I know I've, I'm wrong. I know that my life is not pleasing to you what I've lived, how I think, what I do, what I believe. Jesus, I know you died on a cross for me. You died in history so that I could be transformed in history. You were raised from the dead in history so that I could be raised up today on this day in history. And this could be a day of history that starts not only a, a new legacy for my life, but for my family for generations to come. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. Just whisper that to him. I believe you died on the cross and were raised from the dead. Because you've been raised from the dead, today I can be raised up into a new life. I turn my life to you today. And Lord, for those that need to recover the joy and the love and the tenderness and the, the sensitivity, the hatred of sin, the fear of the Lord that makes us run from evil, let them recover that today. Let them do the things they did at first, not just search for a feeling, but go back and do their first works. And Lord, as we approach a world of evil, we, we will suffer. We will, we will stand in the midst of unavoidable suffering. Lord, may our hearts not be bitter. May we turn the other cheek, forgive seven times 70. Extend the grace that's been so infinitely extended toward us. And we thank you in the name of Jesus.